Like St. Albert, we must be oriented quietly and confidently towards the truth, and we must never fear the currents of time. So said AMI Senior Fellow, Dr. William Fahey. College is a bubble. We're here to pop it. The Albertus Magnus Institute is reinventing the academy, offering education that's as free as it is free. Welcome to the Magnus Podcast. With your help, we are liberating the liberal arts. Now, your hosts, John Johnson and Larissa Bianco. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Magnus Podcast. I'm John Johnson, and today we're doing something very, very special to celebrate the Feast of St. Albert the Great, which is coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, the birthday of the Albertus Magnus Institute, three years old. Uh, fellowship's been launched for two years, and today we're giving you a peek behind the curtain so you can see and hear exactly who makes the magic happen at AMI. And with that, I want to introduce to you some very special people. Hello, Larissa. Hi, John. Hello, Eva. Hi, John. How are you? I'm good. Hello, Nicole. Hello. The, ma- <laughs> the matriarch here. of Albertus Magnus Institute. So very exciting here. And I, I want to start by just saying, whenever I'm talking to anybody, potential students, donors, whomever, the biggest, without question, the biggest surprise that we get is you guys do all of that with three staff members. And not only not only three staff members, but not even full-time. I mean, you guys aren't even that full-time sort of, right? And so from processing applications to running uh, you know, donor development to keeping the website going to managing the fellowship and the virtual campus and everything in between, you all make it happen. So I want to publicly thank the three of you who do a lot uh, for me, who, who, you know, I'm, I'm happily serving as a volunteer to sort of run this thing. And, uh, but my heart is, is in the Albertus Magnus Institute and you guys make it possible and serve so many people now 800 student fellows and counting in just two years of existence for the fellowship. That's a remarkable feat. Most nonprofit initiatives like this fail very quickly and we are not going to fail because we don't like those kinds of things. So for our audience today, I want to give you a personal introduction to each of these three wonderful humans who make the magic happen at AMI. So I want to start with Eva. Hello, Eva. Uh, You are the newest member of this great team. Where do you live exactly? I live in New Hampshire, although I'm a Michigan girl. So um, I come from the greatest state in the Midwest and probably all over um, the United States, the Mitten. Um, So I'm one of those people that when they ask me where I'm from, I hold up my hand and I start jabbing at it aggressively. So anyway, I'm from Michigan, but I live in New Hampshire with my husband and my baby, who is seven months old. And you're Um, a graduate of Thomas More College as well, right? I am, yes. And so that's about 15 minutes actually down the road um, from where we live. So we actually stayed in the community after graduation um, to be able to be near friends and, um, you know, the community that the school has to offer. 
Now you have the probably, you know, well, maybe I shouldn't say this, but in my mind, you have the most challenging job and that is uh, shaking people down for money to, to make AMI work. That's got to be painful. Just tell us what's a day in the life. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's not easy. You know, um, you make a lot of phone calls and you talk to people about um, the importance of what we're doing here, investment in the culture, investment in people's um, minds, um, because, you know, at bottom line, a liberal education is um, one of the greatest gifts a person can receive. And, um, you know, in order to do what we do here, obviously, it requires um, funding. Um, so it's it's not an easy job to ask people for money because, you know, that's what you have to do. Um, but it's also one that I can be, um, you know, very freely myself with and totally honest because I received a really wonderful um, liberal education and, um, you know, it, it totally benefited myself and my husband and my family. And so to tell people about the importance of that and then to ask them um, money is ask ask them for money is um you know it comes it comes naturally i guess it does and i think it's received naturally too i mean i can say that having gotten a similar having received i should say a similar education but i you know i paid a lot for mine uh you know loans the whole rigmarole right and and it was just so expensive right and then people say, well, would you have done it all over again? I say, absolutely, without thinking twice, because that's the value of an education, right? When you can think, there's no conversation you can't have. There's no business you can't enter. Uh, that's that's the beauty of a holistic education is it prepares the mind to experience holistic things in holistic ways. And so it's totally worth it. But then we come along and offer it for free. Absolutely. Which is a surprise. That's, I would say, the second biggest surprise that we get, if not criticism. Why are you doing this for free? How do people, when you're asking for money to make this mission possible and productive, how do people respond to you? When, uh, when they hear that it's for, for free? Yeah. And the whole, the whole mission, the value proposition. I mean, it's like, is it too good to be true? Where do you where do you get the most roadblocks when you're soliciting donations to this cause? Right. So people are often surprised when they hear that we offer our courses totally for free. They think, is this too good to be true? But it's not too good to be true. It is what we do. And we're really proud of that and blessed by our benefactors to be able to offer these courses for free. And we do this because we want our fellows, our student fellows, to be able to pursue lifelong learning, to pursue wisdom. That's something um, that is a gift that should be freely given. And that's what we're doing here. And in a lot of ways, what we are offering is free because you can't put a price on it. And it's also a sort of, it's a poke in the eye to the college machine that has commodified the student to a point of just, you know, making it more and more and more expensive and less and less and less return on investment, all the while padding these giant endowments that they could offer this stuff for free. But it's it's a commercial enterprise at the expense of the human person. And we're trying to do something that's completely opposite of that in a way that shocks people. And I think we've had a really good response as evidenced by the fact that we're here um, last year, we we surprised everybody with, you know, we tried to raise 50 grand for our annual great campaign 
this year we're going to raise what 75 we're going to try eva you want to uh, not, we're not going to make this whole episode of a fundraising uh, telethon, but just give us a sneak peek of the great campaign that is launching today. Yeah. So this is really exciting that we're launching the great campaign today, Feast Day of St. Albert. The idea is between now and Giving Tuesday, um, our goal is to raise $20,000 by then. And that's going to be a springboard for us um, to hit our goal of $75,000 by December 31st. That's exciting. I, I was, I'm a, I'm the most optimistic person I know. And last year when we hit 50 real money, I was just, I was floored and we, I think we exceeded it barely. It was just such a remarkable testament to the work that you all are doing. So Eva, God bless it. Uh, thank you real quick. Uh, what do you do for fun? Uh, tell these, tell these people a little bit about the Eva. Yeah. So um, when I'm not taking my baby for walks and going on hikes with my husband, um, I love to paint. Um, I like to paint icons, iconography. Um, and so um, so I like to study that and paint those. Um, I'm also a ballerina, um, or at least I used to be. And so that's something that I keep up with because um, I love ballet. I think it's something that's very beautiful. Um, I love to read. Um, hang out with friends, go to breweries, that's kind of that kind of thing. So I didn't know you were a ballerina. I that's exciting. A, yeah. You've got a great husband, by the way. I was so excited to meet you guys in person in California. No, wait, where did you guys where did we meet? Yeah, San, yeah. San yeah. That's For right. my first time in San Diego, too. I was, traveling too much, I was yeah. expecting California to be a horrible place, but it was it was gorgeous. It's not that bad. It is gorgeous. <laughs> it is gorgeous. Yeah, and you have a, such a beautiful family, and we're so glad and grateful to have you here. So it's just the beginning, and uh, you know you're you're in a, at the ground floor here, and and so thank you for your work, and I know I speak for our audience right now, thanking you as well, uh, Larissa. Hello, Larissa. This is Larissa Bianco, everybody. Recently married. Just an amazing human. Tell tell us anything you want to tell us about yourself. I'm not going to ask you direct questions. That's okay. that's uh, yeah. You could you can just say anything you want. Go ahead. Okay. Well, most of our audience already knows me as the voice behind the podcast, so you're probably very sick of hearing my. Wait, voice. that's you. You make those those intros on today's episode. You're joking, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> Do you pay attention to anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, about me. I was also a ballerina, like Eva. I decided, well, I was not a very good ballerina. I was a dancer. And I decided to not go to a great books college. I went to a public university here in North Carolina because I wanted to pursue dance. Um, I love dancing. But then I fell out of love with the dance world. I'm sure you can relate. The dance world is not a dancing ballet is beautiful, but the dance world is not necessarily a beautiful place. Um, yeah. unfortunately. So it's kind of been corrupted. So that didn't last forever. Um, and then let's see, I can relate to our fellows pretty well who didn't get the liberal arts education and want to return to that later in life. Um, that's one of the things probably I love the most about my job is I get to be on these podcasts with great minds and talk about great things. 
And I didn't read half of these books in college, but I get to talk about them on a podcast and it's a little snippet of education for me. Um, It's been really cool to be on the podcast and do that. And yes, I did recently get married. I live in a little town called Mount Pleasant, North Carolina. Um, We have one coffee shop and a library and that's about it. And then it's just farmland. Um, It's awesome. We just bought a house that's completely in shambles. There was a hole in the floor. The laundry room floor was sinking. We have a tree that's about to kill somebody. Um, We've been working on that and fixing it up. So that's been really fun. Yeah. Wow. And you, uh, I hope it's okay for me to point this out. We didn't know this when we hired you, but you have liberal arts in your blood pumping through your veins. Um, I was very surprised to learn this. Maybe you don't want to say more about this, but you're you're kind of a big deal uh, in the pedigree sense. Yeah, I'm a purebred, I guess. I uh, my father Andrew Kern started the Cersei Institute. My father-in-law Matthew Bianco works for the Cersei Institute. Let's give a free plug to the Cersei Institute because I've I've been uh, interested in their work for years and years before Albertus Magnus Institute was even a twinkle in my eye. And they're doing great work uh, for our listeners who aren't aware of what they do. Just give them some free advertising space. Yeah, I'd love to. So Circe was founded when I was three. So I like to say that I'm the face that launched the Circe Institute. I am the fourth of five children. Um, and so my dad got into classical education and he created Circe, which is the Center for Independent Research in Classical Education. And he wrote a writing curriculum called The Lost Souls of Writing. He's written a couple books and they do homeschool, mom training, um, teacher training. My dad has helped start multiple schools. So she still does that. Um, trying to mostly just teach schools how to truly be classical because even most classical schools in America, I don't know if I can say that, are not truly yeah, you, classical. You, you, you know, like yeah. what is a classical school? Does anybody know? So that's right. what Cersei's mission is to teach schools to be classical and teach moms to teach classically and dads to teach classically. And I don't really consider anybody to be a competitor of AMI, but definitely not Cersei. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do think they're serving sort of a different demographic. And, yes. and, you know, there's a lot of, I think, complementarity between what we do. And we have a lot of fellows who are involved with Cersei and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Cersei is very focused on high school, middle school, elementary school. Obviously, we're we lean more towards higher education. Although I think we have an audience in high school for sure, and oh, homeschool yeah. moms. Oh, um, yeah. But I think we're very complementary in that way. Yeah, I do too. Well, why are you working for us? Because you found me and we you did. asked me to work for you. Yeah. yeah. And- and really, we had no idea who you were when, you know, we had no idea that you were the the heiress to the entire Western tradition, but apparently you are. So that's great. Yeah, no, I mean, well, so you found me, John found me on Twitter and yeah, I, I just out of the blue decided that I wanted to be more involved in the conversation regarding education and all the problems in our world and how if we could just fix education, we might fix America. So I just wanted to throw my two cents out on Twitter and then John found me. And now I, now I do more than Twitter. You thought I was a spammer when I, when I sent you a DM. Yeah. I got to give you kudos. We've, um, 
I think we just crossed like 30,000 downloads on the podcast somehow. So uh, words getting out and good job. I mean, these, the discussions are so invigorating and the peaks inside the courses that we offer. I get a lot of really positive feedback about the podcast. Obviously we've got a bunch of five-star reviews. So thank you for doing all that. I mean, Larissa, you do all, just tell our audience, right? You do all the production, all of the scheduling, Mm -hmm. interview prep. You're the one who texts me 10 times to make sure I'm going to show up for the tapings and Mm -hmm. it it wouldn't work without you. So yeah, I I love it. It It's so fun to browse for people. This sounds creepy, but I just browse for people. I just look for people that would be good for our podcast. It's so fun. Yeah. It's a cool job. All right. Good job. Last but not least, Nicole, what is your last name these days? Roundtree. You you've been Nicole Martin in my in my mind for so many years, and you married a great guy named Paul, and now you're living in New Mexico, far away from anything. So, Nicole, <laughs> you true. you have been the longest serving employee. You were employee number one at AMI, and just tell yeah, us a little I started, bit about um, your, your journey. April of 2020, right, right as the world was shutting down for for COVID, I hopped along <laughs> and um yeah i've it's been it's been a couple of years now and i'm still here and what is it that you do here well i always wonder what i should call myself because whenever there's an application for anything it's like what is your what is your job and i think what do i what do i do um but mostly i think is my my job is to interact and to be the face um via email for all of our fellows. So when people have questions and we have new applicants, I am the go-to person to answer their questions, get them onboarded. Um, when people register for courses, that's me that you're talking to or emailing. Um, so I'm sort of the the go-between person for the middleman, so to speak, between the fellows and um, AMI in general. And you, so you I've you sent thousands and thousands of emails since April of 2020. Yeah. So basically general admin, registrar, uh, course moderator, website updater. Uh, you wear many hats. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> including the one you're wearing right now. Uh, so and just give tell us a little bit about you, the human. Well, I learned something new today. Turns out. Um, we all did ballet because that was, that was my, the majority of my past, <laughs> um, before I went to college as well. So, um, but I do, I know more dance that so that was my distant past, but, um, yeah, so I, I live in New Mexico. Um, I love to go hiking. I cook for my family and, um, I help my husband, brew, husband brew beer, which is very fun. Um, and I have a little daughter who's three months old, who is my new, my new little companion in life. Um, yeah. And I love to paint as well. Um, and I, I think my, I love to garden. Um, my parents have a farm, so I sort of have dabbled in too many things to be good at any one thing really is my, that's my lot in life. I, I, I had no idea we had three ballerinas on the team is, yeah. is- is a male ballerina a ballerino? Is there a word? No. What do you call <laughs> what do you call a man ballerina? John, I think if you were a ballerina, you would be a ballerino, but yeah. No, 
ballerinisto. What do you call a, ball- a male ballerina? Is there a word for that? Is this a dancer? It's um, a male dancer, but you you would say dancer the French way, which I'm not even going to attempt to do here. Please attempt. Like male dancer. <laughs> Danseuse. <laughs> you know, I will admit I'm actually a fan of of ballet, and um, you know, I I like, tell your friends. No, it's okay. I like I like watching it. Um, I love the opera as well, but these, um, you know, the form, like the um, the the form of these, you know, I especially the men. This is going to sound strange. I mean, don't sexualize it, anybody listening. But the form of the men doing male ballet is just like the sculpture esqueness of these people uh, i mean it's really a, a beautiful art that's underappreciated so anyway how athletic it is it's extremely athletic yeah yeah so uh well that's that's good to know i didn't know any of that um i'm gonna kind of we've never had this discussion but let's let's tell our uh, you guys are all following the temperaments right so larissa we have our resident sanguine perhaps yes would you call yourself that I think so. Okay. So. Eva, uh, my co-choleric, perhaps? Absolutely. Yeah. And Nicole, uh, 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 phlegmatic, melancholic, can be both of those things? That's what I That's what I tested for back in the day. Oh, <laughs> 100%. I know you so well. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. And so we have, as, as I wanted everybody to see, though... Everybody in this uh, podcast is a ballerina or a ballerina appreciator. We're all very, very different, different people and, and beautiful. Uh, we have such a beautiful staff that really gives their heart every day. I am, I am an absent boss. Let's put it that way. Uh, and I try to be more and more there for AMI and I'm doing the best I can with it. And I think you all, you know, knew that when you signed up for it, but you're doing such a good job filling all the gaps. Where do we go from here? I mean, like we've sort of like we've conquered the world. No, we haven't. We, but we got 800 students doing good. We will say that we are only limited by, you know, capacity, right? It's harder to serve many more students, many more classes than we can right now at this capacity. So that's why the biggest thing, you know, we need to scale is just an increase in revenue, which is why we do things like this fundraiser, right, Eva? I mean, this is, you know, know, we're so lean. Uh, What we can do with three people who are are paid to, to work is like far and away better than what anybody else can do institutionally, period. It's incredible. I'm a volunteer. I don't make a, I don't make a dollar from AMI. Uh, and you all are not, let's just be honest, you're not the highest paid humans in the world, right? Well, we're but not the lowest paid either. You're not, you're, you're, you're justly paid and, and definitely, um, appreciated. So, so yeah, I mean, where, where does AMI, let me just ask you this, like, and we haven't discussed this, but what's your three-year outlook for AMI? Where do you see this institution going if you had your way? Man, Eva and I were just talking about this um, earlier last week about 
the places we could go. And, you know, since I've been doing the podcast, I want to get more into videos and being a voice out there, you know, along with our fellowship, also just being in the conversation about the problems with higher education and how we can fix it and how we can restore truth and beauty in our culture. And um, whether it's through more podcasts or YouTube videos or making our own little 30 second clips with guys like Pablo talks for 30 minutes about the constitution and how America's, you know, like France at the time of democracy in America being written. Um, just being a voice in this discussion and being taken seriously as a voice. And when people want to know what's up, they come to us. Yeah. I've thought about this a lot. And I think that as institutional college, anti-college, I'll call it, begins to, not begins to, but continues to crumble. There's going to be a point when these institutions will implode on themselves. And I think that point is approaching very, very quickly. Nobody who's worth, you know, nobody who can think their way out of a wet paper bag is going to pay, you know, $150,000 a year and go into debt for that much to get a really mediocre or even anti-education. And so these institutions are going to break. Our endorsed institutions will probably break the last, but I see AMI as something of a lifeboat for great faculty who are in troubled institutions. So, you know, when things break, and they will break and they are breaking, you know, will, will there be something stable in its place to continue to take up the mantle of education in the Western tradition? I think AMI could be that, you know, the fellowship is proudly unaccredited. It always will be, but maybe something like uh, an accredited advanced degree program as, as a, as a branch of that, of what we're offering. I think there's a real demand for that at the master's or doctorate level or, or MPhil or something like that. Uh, and, and really with our faculty, nobody is training as many humans as well as we are in, in, in the liberal arts. So people are recognizing that. Um, Eva, where, where are we going to be in three years? What's your gut say? Yeah. I mean, we have an all-star cast, you know, like you were saying with the senior fellows that we have and that we're continuing to acquire and, you know, I'd like to see us do some more in-person um, events and seminars and things, you know, um, where we we get together with um, various senior fellows and um, our student fellows. Um, and we have some in-person courses and seminars um, that we that we also um, do, because I think it's it's really wonderful that we're able to um, do all of this from afar and we're, we're reaching people from not only across this country, but across the world. Um, but I think it would be really enjoyable and fruitful to do some in-person things um, with our fellows. I agree. And that's always been the vision. Uh, COVID happened and we didn't execute that because of the circumstances. But I think now there's a tremendous demand for it. I would love to see that happen really soon. So yeah, let's do it. It's it's a funding question, right? That's 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 the issue. But yes, I agree. Nicole, where are we going to be in three years? Oh man, I would love to see us um, 
maybe partner with some parishes or more dioceses. We had um, a, a jaunt with the um, Diocese of Denver um, last summer with some courses we offered for some of the teachers. I would love for that to continue um, into other parishes or other dioceses. Um, I think that the world, while maybe not specifically classical education, um, the the Catholic world um, in diocesan parishes and schools, um, there's a lot of room there for growth and improvement. Um, and I think if we could partner with more teachers so that they can better help teach, um, that would be a wonderful direction for us to to serve. I agree. And that reminds me as well. It's a, this is a great year in review item to just bring up on this podcast because we did this pilot program with the Archdiocese of Denver and uh, were contracted to form uh, a history or to form a body of their secondary teachers uh, in the diocese at these Catholic schools who wanted a, an initiation into the classical liberal arts. And so David Arias, we taught a great course for them heard a ton of positive feedback. And so using that as a pilot program through which we could model extending something like that to other dioceses would be great. Isn't that a funny plural word, by the way, dioceses? You got you, you just want to say diocese, but anyway, but I agree. Um, and so institutional partnerships are a huge, huge uh, potential market for us. There's a lot of demand there. Again, question of capacity. So I want to assure our listeners on this podcast, we are absolutely growing and serving as many as we can be with what we have. And that's why we wanted to show everybody kind of what we have. This is it. It's, it's three wonderful ladies. Um, and, you know, we have a bunch of volunteer help and our board gives us a lot of help, tremendous amount of help. Our senior fellows give us a tremendous amount of help. Um, some of them even donate their time to teach. And so we couldn't do it without a lot of people besides us, but I wanted to just give everybody a glimpse of who really makes, makes everything happen. And that's you three. So. And of course you, John, so you should tell us a little bit about yourself, whatever you want to say and why you started this thing. This sure. is now toddler foundation. To- toddler foundation of three years old. Um, and I, I probably have, at least one three-year-old at home. I think I do. I've got six or five kids and my sixth is on the way. Uh, The whole situation escalated very quickly. I've only been married for eight years and uh, married just the most fantastic, beautiful, out of my league woman. Um, My goodness, I did well for myself there. Before that, I grew up uh, in California you know, was raised a Catholic, I guess, nominally, I would have always called myself a Catholic, but never really, I had like this idea of there's the Catholic world, and then there's the real world. And I didn't realize those were the same thing until I studied philosophy in college. And I and I accidentally went to a Catholic great books college, St. Mary's College in the Bay Area, which is the um, sort of the first Christianization of, you know, Adler's great books program from the University of Chicago and the oldest really great institution St. Mary's was. Um, Unfortunately, it's largely fallen by the wayside with the exception of a philosophy department that's amazing and and what they call the integral program, which is amazing, which is sort of the father program to 
uh, Thomas Aquinas College, right? And so I went there and I learned how to think, uh, though you wouldn't know it from talking to me now, and I learned how to um, fight. I learned how to think and I learned how to fight. And and I and I fell in love with with the conversations and the texts and the people. And I fell in love with, you know, the fact that you could have a um, somebody you met, you know, somebody you met who went to the same college 30, 40 years ago. It's like you can pick up without anything having left off. I'm sure you guys have all experienced that from Thomas More. Um, but it's just this unbreakable line of continuity that this academic tradition proposes to us. So it's a, it's a real treasure. So anyway, I did, I studied philosophy, uh, studied theology, graduate school at the DSPT, was never really a good enough academic to cut it in that field. And I also knew that I couldn't make a living doing it. Um, but I, but I did have a knack for business. So I founded a few different businesses along the way earned a living, um, always also had a love for giving things back to the church and forming souls. So I, I did a lot of educational stuff, um, did 10 years of youth ministry uh, while running businesses. And then I spent um, a few years uh, serving different dioceses in, in priestly formation for their propedeutic uh, formation of seminarians. So before, before seminary, um, men would get an initiation into philosophy and theology and did some work in nonprofit educational initiatives um, elsewhere. So, but in doing that, I saw that there was this real need for um, uh, people to be formed in previous arts uh, before theology, right? If you know, if you understand geometry and logic and rhetoric, it makes reading John's gospel, say, or doing theology of any sort, participating in divine knowledge a lot more um, how should I say this? A lot more fruitful. And so I said, well, there's a real gap in the educational market, especially in the online educational market for this formation that's available to everybody without doing four years in a brick and mortar school. And that's when the Albertus Magnus Institute was born. Um, you know, it's, we're, we're not at a point where I can do nothing but this. So I still run businesses. Um, I own a hosting company or co-own a hosting company called Patmos Hosting that does, um, uh, basically it's a data center uh, web services company, infrastructure as a service that focuses on providing um, uncancelable hosting. So for companies that are being threatened with deplatforming from the big boys, we provide great data services and infrastructure as a service, but it's really freedom of speech as a service. So that's Patmos Hosting also um, named after the first uh, place of deplatform exile that is the island of Patmos, uh, home to the first victim of cancel cancelization, right? Cancel culture. Saint John can't kill the guy, but you can exile him. But didn't you know? It's like it, Patmos became this place where the message resounded from. So, and I tell I tell my companies I want to retire in three years and do nothing but educational stuff and you know, maybe spend some time on a beach from time to time, raise my kids. So that's the plan. Um, and that's my, that's my uh, professional and personal life in a nutshell. Any questions? I think it's really fascinating and important that the goal is to get to theology right at the top of the order of knowing. And that's the goal of AMI was to get people to be able to better understand theology. 
That's and, the goal of the liberal arts, right? They're all right. they're all propedeutic to the highest art uh, and philosophy, and then theology. So what I've realized, especially in Catholic circles, we're, we're trying to do theology. And don't get me wrong, you know, a seven-year-old on her first communion day is doing theology in a way that most of us might never understand, right? So I'm not I'm not trying to make theology this esoteric Gnosticism that you have to work your way up to. Uh, but at the same time, if we could better form our minds with prior things, our experience in the divine things would be uh, deeply enriched. The, the more the more we know here, the more we'll know in heaven. Yeah, absolutely. Just what John's saying um, reminds me of something. I can't remember which saint says it. Um, just along the lines of um, the order of knowledge, you have to study certain things before you're really well equipped to study other things. Um, and one of the saints said that scripture is the soul of sacred theology. So again, just in the order of, of learning, you have to invest in in scripture and, and your mind in scripture before you can um, really properly um, take a hold of sacred theology. So yeah, just another thought on the order of knowledge. Yeah, no, it's, um, I think, I think order is important and, and the order of discipline from, you know, an educational standpoint, um, we learn things in certain ways and there has to be a discipline to pedagogy or, or a pedagogy to discipline. Um, and then I think it's lacking. It's lacking in Catholic circles for sure. For sure. Excuse me. All right. What else do you want to talk about? So is that a good podcast? About- yeah. But do you want to just mention when we talked about goals, the goals for our curriculum? Yeah. Um, well, we've offered in just two years of fellowship, we've offered what 24 courses so far. And if you're just catching AMI for the first time, um, give us 25 bucks a month and get access to all those recorded courses. Or if you don't have 25 bucks a month, just email us. And we'll give it, give you access anyway. And but, I have to jump in here and tell you to stop saying that. Oh yeah. Don't, we don't give anything away for free. It's like, um, I run a, I, 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 one of my other uh, hobby businesses, I have a wood-fired pizza restaurant and my staff is always getting on me for giving stuff away for free. I'm like, eh, have a beer, you know, but so, yes, I'm sorry. That's my, my Achilles heel is I want to give everything away for free. So give us 25 bucks a month. If you want those recordings We're, we've offered 24, 25 courses in the past, access them all if you want to now, but we want to keep offering more and more and more courses because we have the demand. Every course we offer fills up, but uh, we we just need funding to offer more. So we want to offer, what, five more in the spring. Is that right? And then, you know, basically five more every subsequent quarter. That's That's the idea. And then next year we'll grow again to maybe six or seven whatever the budget will allow. A lot of people don't know this, but our cost per course is about 7,000 bucks. And we can fit 25 fellows in those courses. We keep it pretty small to preserve intimacy and conversation. But yeah, we want to offer more and more courses and we try never to offer less than we did before to keep momentum going. 
Just on that note, um, that's something that's really unique about the courses that we offer um, as opposed to, you know, other online great books courses um, is that we're so interactive and we keep our class size so small. Um, so it really creates this Socratic dialogue and this um, exciting and intimate conversation with your peers and your uh, senior fellow. And I think that's just something um, that we do really excellently. Yeah. And it creates relationships. I mean, there's, you know, there's people uh, in the, in the fellowship courtyard, intermingling, talking, meeting each other, people reaching out to professors after the fact. So these are not just watching zoom videos or YouTube recordings. These are very interactive you know, probably the next best thing to brick and mortar education. You can't replicate that in the community that it brings, but I think we do a pretty good job and it's only getting better. Absolutely. It's like the kind of thing where when you're studying something, you don't really know it until you can also articulate it and have a conversation about it. So, um, you know, if if you read a book, you might absorb something about it, but if you read a book and have a conversation about it, you're just going to get so much more out of it. Mm-hmm. Bingo. Well, this has been a great conversation. Anything else y'all want to talk about? I have a very important question. Oh. I want to know, we've never talked about this within our staff. Are you Team Achilles or Team Hector? Who is the greater hero? Oh, that's a great, that's a great question. question. Um, There's only I, one answer. I don't, have a, <laughs> I don't have a team there. I am like Achilles. Um, I, I, I relate to Achilles much more than I do Hector. But the way I fight. I'm going to vote Hector. I bet you do. <laughs> Say why. Oh, man. Uh, at this point, it's embarrassing. I haven't read the Iliad since, well, it's probably been 11 years, so I'm a little rusty. But um, I remember at the time choosing Hector, so I'm just going to stick with my initial my initial judgment. Your gut says my eighteen year old self. <laughs> you know they asked Mike Tyson uh, if he could fight any any fighter in history. Who would he want to fight? You know Muhammad Ali or George Foreman or anybody. You know, and he says Achilles. That's was, great. I was pretty impressed. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, uh, Larissa, thanks for doing this podcast. This is awesome. It's going to be a great, great campaign, Eva. We're going to crush that goal, 75K. And we will, you know, let's just make them a promise. If we if we hit 75K, we'll do an in-person event in 23. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Great plan. We Help us out there. Yeah, we can do that without any planning or fore notice. That's just the way we do things. Yes. Yeah, so 75,000 bucks and we'll do at least uh, one in-person event. And I think throughout the course of this great campaign, we're going to be announcing a few very beautiful upgrades to AMI on the whole. So with your help, we can continue the great work of liberating the liberal arts and giving something that is given as freely as it is freeing in itself. That's education. You can't put a price on it, but you can think of an amount of money to give us to help us meet our $75,000 goal. And join the fellowship if you're not there at magnusinstitute.org. And for Larissa Bianco, Eva Mormon, and Nicole Roundtree, I'm John Johnson reminding you of our names. The Magnus Podcast is a production of the Albertus Magnus Institute Incorporated. 
to learn more, way more, by becoming a fellow today, visit magnusinstitute.org. Copyright 2022. Albertus Magnus Institute, Incorporated. All rights reserved.